BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey friends, thanks for joining a podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called patreon.com slash BP show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show. Patreon.com slash BP show. Donald Trump says, I have proof that the congresswoman is lying. And of course, he doesn't have any proof at all when it comes to the White House briefing. Show and tell. What is your proof? They couldn't come up with anything. Hello, everybody. Here we are. What do you say? The Bill Press Show on a Thursday. Thursday, October 19. Here we go. Off with the news of the day, such as it is coming from Washington, D.C. A big stormy hearing in the United States Senate yesterday in the Senate Judiciary Committee with Attorney General uh, Jeff Sessions who thought he was back as a senator and should be treated with respect. No, indeed. He's the attorney general of the United States. <laughs> they could, they, senators proved they could kick him around just like uh, they could kick anybody else around. Uh, and, uh, of course, uh, the White House, uh, it's just stewing in this whole storm that Donald Trump created himself when he said, yep, I call military families, but no other president did. And then he called one military family, the widow, Maisha Johnson, uh, widow of uh, La David Johnson, the sergeant killed in Niger, and uh, reportedly told her, hey, you know, your husband knew what he was getting into when he signed up for the military in the first place, even though it probably still hurts. Oh, all of that news of the day coming at you here from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., and giving you a chance to comment on it all, send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. We'll dive right into all the news of the day, but first... This is the Peter. Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. You know, I don't think the White House really has their stuff together. No. Yeah, yeah. Yesterday they sent out a tweet from the White House Twitter account. That said, a streamlined tax code saves Americans time and money. The unified framework for tax reform promises to simplify more. And then they give a link to whitehouse.gov. Except the problem is they put a photo with the tweet. And the photo showed the White House with Bo, Barack Obama's dog, in front of it. So they're still using stock photos of the White House with Barack Obama's pets in it. Which is... A little sloppy. Uh, a little sloppy. A little sloppy, I think. But that, I think, is sort of emblematic of the uh, Trump White House. If you go to Long Beach, California, there is a breakfast spot known as Sweet Dixie Kitchen. Sweet Dixie Kitchen is the name don't, of the restaurant. Don't know it. 
there is a gentleman who went in there and said that as he sat down, he saw the restaurant bring in two large boxes of Popeye's chicken to the kitchen. And after he ordered his $13 dish of chicken and waffles, he said that it tasted suspiciously like Popeye's. <laughs> so he actually asked the waiter, how do you cook your fried chicken? And after the waiter sort of dodged for a little while, he finally admitted, well, we use Popeye's chicken in our fried chicken and waffles. They actually- no the, kidding. The owner is a woman named Kim Sanchez who actually defended the use of Popeye. She was like, yeah, you're right. like Popeye's is delicious. We use Popeye's fried chicken. That shit's good. So, of course, they we're going to They just add their it. own gravy. They just, yeah, exactly, exactly. They also said that they use a gumbo from someone who sells at a local farmer's market. So if you go to Sweet Dixie Kitchen, yeah, you just pay it. a little bit more to get right. a Popeye's situation. It's, it's like marking up wine, right? You know. Yeah, exactly. You know, you can buy wine for cheaper than you buy it in restaurants. Yeah. Just, you know, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? I, I, I don't have a big problem with that. All right. And there is a school in Mississippi, an elementary what? school, which has been known as Jefferson Davis uh, Elementary School for a long, long time. Well, they decided it's finally time to do away with that name, and they have changed it. To Donald Trump. No. <laughs> Barack Obama Elementary School. Oh, no, <laughs> really? Oh. So they went from Jefferson Davis Elementary Whoa. School to Barack Obama Elementary School. I'd say that's a pretty, uh, okay. that's sort of a quantum leap. And baseball? I'll have baseball scores next hour. All right. Yeah, stay okay. tuned. I'm just dying to know. I mean, if you wanted the baseball scores right off the bat, I could have had them for you, but well, I'll, I, I'll do them just, next hour. I'm just dying to know how my Cubs are doing. You know, I have to, find, I have to wait a whole hour to find it's out. It's called a tease, Bill. <laughs> stay tuned. <laughs> oh, it's called a tease, right? On your radio, on TV, and online. This is the Bill Press Show. Yeah, two days ago, or yesterday morning, actually, Donald Trump said, Proof! I got proof! I didn't say what that congresswoman said I said. Yesterday afternoon at the White House, they said, Proof? What proof? We ain't got no proof. <laughs> One more big fat lie by Donald Trump. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the program here. On a Thursday, Thursday, October 19, it is the Bill Press Show. Great to have you with us as we join you wherever you are in this great land of ours. We here in Washington, D.C., reaching out to you on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Check it out. Check it out. Also on Free Speech TV and in the Chicago area on WCPT in Indianapolis, uh, all through Indiana on Indiana Talks. Great to have you with us today. We've got lots and lots to uh, talk about. And we've got a good lineup for you today as well on the Bill Press Show this beautiful Thursday, October 19. Simone Parthe from Roll Call, covering politics for Roll Call, for joining us uh, to talk about a lot of the political activity, including the big governor's race uh, in Virginia. And Andrew Desiderio for the Daily Beast, uh, another political reporter. He's uh, actually been down in... Uh, Alabama at that uh, race between Doug Jones now and Roy Moore. Any hope for the Democrat down there? And then a defense council member from the Truman National Security Project, uh, Bishop Garrison, will be joining us uh, as well. Lots and lots to talk about the top stories, of course. Yes, uh, the feud continues between uh, the White House, Donald Trump, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, and Congresswoman Frederica Wilson, 
uh, whose account of that telephone call, as we will talk about in just a minute, has been confirmed by the mother of the slain Sergeant uh, David Johnson. Uh, President Trump back and forth on whether or not he supports the compromise health care legislation hammered together by Lamar Alexander, Republican from Tennessee, and Patty Murray, Democrat from Washington. First he said he was against it, then he said he was for it, then he came out against it again. We don't really know where the hell he stands, and nobody does. Jeff Sessions, in a stormy session yesterday in front of the Senate uh, Judiciary Committee, really getting into it, uh, particularly with the Democrats and especially with uh, Democratic Senator Al Franken from Minnesota. And Roger Goodell um, basically saying you can do whatever you want to do in the NFL. He says he thinks players should stand for the national anthem, but we're not going to force them uh, to do so. There you go. Yeah, what a briefing it was yesterday at the White House. All the, you know, I made a, a special point of getting there. Um, it was a packed house, I think, because uh, everybody wanted to see the proof, the, the proof that the pro- president promised uh, yesterday. We talked about this. Uh, after attacking one Gold Star family, um, the Kamir Kazan and his wife, um, uh, who spoke at the Democratic convention. And let's remember, they were not there attacking Donald Trump. They were there opposing Donald Trump's Muslim ban because they were pointing out as a Muslim family, their son had made the ultimate sacrifice in Iraq. Um, the um, a- After attacking them, after also attacking another war hero, John McCain, still today attacking John McCain, you know, that Donald Trump won after it again uh, with this widow of uh, uh, Sergeant uh, LaDavid Johnson. First of all, um, it was two, almost two weeks, 12 days since our four service members were killed in Niger. Uh, 12 days went by with Donald Trump tweeting up a storm on all kinds of stuff. Think about what we've talked about yeah. in the last 12 days. Oh, yeah. You know, all that NFL stuff and Puerto Rico, maybe, maybe Puerto Rico, not a lot of Puerto Rico, yeah. uh, but tax reform or health care, back and forth, all kinds of stuff. Not a word, not a peep about Niger and about these four servicemen. And by the way, that fact uh, became a little more serious uh, when it was reported late last night that actually, so the, um, the those two, the, those four officers were ambushed and murdered on October 4th, the National Security Council immediately drafted a statement for the president to release about the First Lady and I are grieved to learn about this. Our hearts and prayers go out to the families, boom, 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 right? Uh, that statement was, it's been released now. I mean, no, it leaked, I should put it that way was given to the Oval, given to the White House at 10 a.m. the morning of October 5th. Never released, never used, just sat there all that time. So he could have, this this issue, right, could have been easily resolved if they'd just done the right thing then. So he waits 12 days when he's finally asked about it. We talked about this a little bit yesterday. just want to update you. Um, what does he do? He says, oh, no, I wrote them a letter. The letters are going to be mailed tonight, and I'm going to call the families, and no other president ever did that before, which 
Which may or may not be true, by the way. Which is not true. <laughs> right, right. No, we know. which is not true. It's not true. But but the whole idea of the letters, that he had written the letters, oh, like, oh, right. I'm yeah, not yeah. so sure. Yeah, that may or may not Prove be true. It. Right, right. So then uh, he says, so he goes to, by the way, immediately, immediately, President Obama, staffers, President George W. Bush, Bill Clinton, everybody said, oh, BS, right? Yes, we did make those calls. And many Gold Star families have come out to affirm that they got those calls from the president. So he was lying and he was politicizing the issue by turning it into an attack, you know, covering up his own ass by co- turning it into an attack against President Obama. So then he makes a call yesterday uh, or that afternoon, Monday afternoon, uh, uh, to the four families. And uh, he reached Maisha Johnson, a widow of Sergeant LaDavid Johnson, uh, while she's sitting in a limo with her family, with the sergeant's mother and father, with her two little girls, or two little kids, one of them's a little girl, I'm not sure about the other. Uh, she is six months pregnant, by the way, and with the congresswoman, who is a longtime family friend of theirs. She, the congresswoman, was the elementary school principal for David Johnson's father mm. in the school. So they've known each other like a long time. And there's a military officer there who is the guy who handles the call, gets the president on the line. It's on speakerphone. And that's where uh, Congresswoman Frederica Johnson said the president told her, well, um, he knew what he was getting into when he signed up, but it still must hurt. Uh, And boy, did that hurt her. Not only did that hurt her, but the fact that he didn't even know her. Apparently, he didn't even know the sergeant's name. He kept calling him. Your guy. Your guy. Your guy. Your guy. Yeah. Um, uh, here's Frederica Wilson yesterday saying uh, that that was that was really what what upset the widow that when she hung up she turned to her and, said, and just weeping and said he didn't even know his name. She told me the second part because I I didn't hear him saying your guy. She was crying and said he didn't even know La David's name. Oh. Didn't Can even you know imagine? Her. Yeah. By the way, he didn't know her name either. No. 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 So I mean, look, I don't want to draw too much of a contrast here because obviously Barack Obama is a better speaker and, and a better president than Donald Trump. Is, and more empathetic and we've, all of that. We've yeah. seen Barack Obama go and give speeches to brave Americans who have died in many different situations. And we've talked about it before on the show. One of the things he does and has done is talk about each individual victim whether it's mass shooting or you know firefighters yep. or yep. uh first responders in different situations he knew their names remember sandy hook he and, went through every one of those little kids yeah names. and would give a story and look i i, Same I get thing it at the mother ame in charleston in, in charleston there was a the explosion at a plant in texas he did and a lot of first responder a couple first responders died there barack obama went down there and talked about it. and look i I realize that some of that is just good politics. I'm not trying to say that Barack Obama is someone who remembers every single person's name that he met. But that's part of the job. That's part of being president. Good staff work, too. It's good staff work, yeah. But, like, which is part of being a good president. You you have got to have this stuff down. You've got to be able to be a shoulder for the country to cry on. Right. So yesterday, the president, meeting with reporters, said, no, 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 that congresswoman is lying. Here he is saying, I did not say what she said I said. I'd like her to make the statement again because I did not say what she said. I had a very nice conversation with the 
woman with the wife who is sounded like a lovely woman did not say what the congresswoman said and most people aren't too surprised to hear that what do you mean most people aren't surprised to hear that but and and this follows up the tweet earlier yesterday morning I think you got the tweet, Peter. About where 24 he said, hours ago, actually. 24 he hours said, ago. Almost exactly he, 24 hours ago. Right. He said, D- a Democrat congresswoman totally fabricated what I said to the wife of a soldier who died in action, parentheses, and I have proof. And I have proof. Sad. So that, that gets us to the briefing yesterday afternoon. We were there. We were there. To, and the, uh, by the way, there should have been more questions about this. I was disappointed in my fellow uh, White House journalists. But at any rate, there are enough questions. Sarah Huckabee Sanders asked, where's the proof? Where's the proof? All right, let's see the proof that that exactly that the president did not say that. And you know what? They didn't have any proof. In fact, uh, they didn't apologize, but they backed off in the sense that she had to admit uh, there was no tape of the conversation and the only proof that she could offer was that there were other people in the room Great. when he made the call, Great. including Chief of Staff John Kelly. She didn't say, by the way, whether or not she was in the room. But instead, instead what she does is, in fact, she says, she describes this, it, the president was completely, completely respectful the president uh, was completely respectful, very sympathetic, uh, and expressed the condolences uh, of himself and the rest of the country and uh, thanked the family for their service, commended them for having an American hero in their family. And um, I, I don't know how you could take that any other way. Now, she's saying that, but again, she didn't say she was in the room. You know, she's making that up. She does say that, and then she speaks for Chief of Staff John Kelly, saying, hey, Kelly was listening in. He lost his son. Kelly thought it was fine. General Kelly was present for the call uh, and thought it was completely appropriate. He thought the call was respectful, and he thought that the president did the best job he could under those circumstances to offer condolences on behalf of the country. Oh, really? Oh, really? Uh, do you think that's what Kelly thinks? Who knows? I mean, she just you know, makes it up. Uh, and then, of course, in typical Donald Trump White House fashion, they shift. They can't defend themselves. They won't apologize. They have no proof. So what does she do? She turns around and attacks the congresswoman. How disgusting for her to politicize this issue. I think it is appalling Uh, what the Congresswoman has done and the way that she's politicized this issue and the way that she is trying to make this about something that it isn't. Uh, No, what's appalling is the way Donald Trump has politicized this issue and the way he handled this issue. So, you know, uh, reporters are going to start digging. The Washington Post did yesterday afternoon. Uh, They contacted... This is amazing. There are about 20 families that have... uh, that they could identify that have lost service members. I'm sure there are more, but since Donald Trump became president, they called 20 of them. 13 out of the 20 said they had never heard from Donald Trump. Damn. Uh, Surprise? No, No, not at all. No. Uh, One family, in fact, said, "Uh, yeah, he called me and I told him uh, that uh, we didn't have any money, Um, we didn't know what we were going to do, and I'm just looking for the name of the family uh, here in the, it was the father of Army Sergeant Dylan Baldridge 
who's in Zebulon, we call North Zebulon, Carolina. North Carolina, yeah. Zebulon, yeah. North Carolina. Uh, and he was telling the problem that they were really poor. They didn't know what they could do to help uh, uh, to get through this bad time. And Donald, they were going to try to raise some money. And Donald Trump said, I'll send you a check for $25,000. That was in June, June 10. So, well, uh, well the, thing, the, the thing that I think is so interesting there is Donald Trump not only sort of hinted that he would personally send that money, but he also sort of said, like, we've got your back. We're going to help raise this money. We're going to draw some. It. We're going to draw some attention to your family. Yeah. Like, had you ever heard of this soldier? No, no. He they never brought it up. No. So the White House, Washington Post, talked to him yesterday uh, during the day, and then they contacted the White and 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 the guy said he offered us twenty five thousand. We haven't heard from him since. This was in June, June ten. Good. Grief. Hasn't heard from him since. Yesterday, guess what? The White House sent a check for $25,000 to uh, the father of Army Sergeant Dylan Baldridge uh, six months later. And you know what? That check never would have been sent if the Washington Post hadn't called and, and, and uncovered that. So it's just, you know, it, it is another part of the mountain, the Mount Everest of lies that we hear every single day. From the president of the United States, I checked yesterday with PolitiFact, right? We've had these people on the show. They're great. Yeah. Tampa Bay Times, 10 years ago, by the way, they started this site called PolitiFact, and they're brutal. They, they look at everybody, Republican, Democrat, doesn't matter. Public statements made by public officials, governors, members of the Congress, and, of course, the president of the United States, and, and, they, and they rate them. Um, true, mostly true. False, mostly false, or liar, liar, pants on fire, right? <laughs> As candidate, 78% of everything Donald Trump said was either false, mostly false, or liar, liar, pants on fire. Yeah. And as president, 70%, that, that's not of everything he said, 70% of the statements that they have checked turn out to be false, mostly false, or liar, liar, pants on fire. You know- you know, I mean, it, it, breaking news: Donald Trump is a liar, right? Like, I, I, I hear you. Like, this is this is just another example that proves this. But to but me, I think it's a mental health problem. Oh no, him. he's not well. And there's a very interesting uh, uh, piece that they that the White House did put out yesterday. It was a call between some people in the White House and or somebody in the White House and um, a, a, a Trump after Frederica Wilson had said what she had heard. And they're sort of trying to like, Mr. Trump, did you actually say this? And he goes, what? I, ne I never said that. And they're like, are you sure you never said that? And he's like, no, no, I never said that. Like, Mr. Trump, are you sure you never said that? <laughs> and so like they know what they're dealing with there is not a man of sound mind. And he's just sort of repeating things that he sees on Fox News in the morning. And, and, and like old, tired arguments like the right wing is the party of the military. And- you know, like Donald Trump, for all of what he's done to turn the NFL taking a knee protest into about the military, which it is most certainly not about the military. <laughs> this is the cruelest thing that any American president has ever done to uh, a if, military family. If you remember during the campaign, he railed against the military and said you couldn't believe the generals, you couldn't trust the generals, it's kind of the whole thing. Now he's kind of surrounded himself by generals now, no. But Donald Trump's uh, <laughs> newfound love for the military um, 
uh, is pretty uh, trans pretty transparent. He's a war hero because he was captured. Mm -hmm. I like people that weren't captured. Okay, I hate yeah. to tell you. Yeah. Do you agree with hero. that? He's a war hero because he was captured. Okay. But uh, just, just a final point on the lies. I, I was actually so I was thinking about that last night. I was working on a column for today, and I was trying to think. Okay, I want to I want to put in here. If I'm talking about the lies, I want to put in here the one time that Donald T Trump told the truth. I could not remember one time he told the truth. I could not remember one true thing he said, unless maybe it was when he said that Mitch McConnell's a jerk or something. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Got that right. Yeah. But I mean, seriously, think about any important issue, substantive issue on which Donald Trump has told the truth. Uh, send us your comments on Twitter if you want, at BP Show. I can't think of anything. By the way, we asked, uh, hey, uh, little Donnie, where's the proof? Oh, yes. Where's the proof hey, on this? We got Donnie. a couple of comments on this. <laughs> uh, Mark in Vermont says, it's as real as Trump University, Trump Vodka, Trump Steaks. Take your pick. Uh, all I love it. That's good. Right? Also, yeah. uh, Anthony says, like everything else, he has no proof because he's a lying Whiny little. Well, I can't read the rest of it. Okay. Oh, uh, yes, you can. Okay. All right. <laughs> so, <laughs> tell me off the air. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And from the chat room on YouTube, we're at YouTube.com/slash The Bill Press Show. Uh, Blair says Donald Trump isn't concerned with fallen soldiers, considering he weaselled his way out of serving in anything that had honor or duty in its framework. So, send us some comments. Then. Yes. Love to hear. Good point. I uh, well, don't want to leave this without just kind of putting a little card on the table here that we'll come back and uh, play with and talk about uh, at greater length when we know more about it and we have more time, and that is what the hell are we doing in Niger in the first place and how many Americans even knew we were there? Yeah. I mean, four soldiers killed in Iraq or Afghanistan, right? You say, hmm, that's still going on. But as Joe Cirincioni from the Plowshares Fund told us yesterday, we're in a lot of countries, particularly in Northern Africa, West Africa, East Africa, where we don't even, most Americans don't even know we're there. Uh, and Niger is one. This, this, um, um, these four officers were sent out on patrol. Uh, they had been on the same patrol 29 times before without encountering anybody. They were sent out, David Martin from CBS News reported this last night, on this particular pardon me, on this particular patrol, and their orders said no expectation of meeting any adversaries. Uh, so they basically were unprepared. They went out. They were ambushed by 50 ISIS rebels yeah. uh, and, um, and just gunned down. Uh, and again, not expecting any return fire or, I, I mean, to encounter anybody. There was no... There were no planes in the area, you know, overhead who could provide some protection. Uh, and it was a long time before uh, uh, they were able to get a helicopter in to retrieve the bodies. The body of Sergeant LaDavid Johnson wasn't retrieved until two days later. So lots of questions. Um, we went into Niger in 2013. President Obama did that, sent 100 troops in. Uh, by the time Donald Trump took over the, today, there are... Uh, and, and Donald Trump didn't make this decision. It was a buildup under President Obama. Um, but by the beginning of this year, there were 800. We have now have 800 American troops uh, in Niger. Uh, a lot of questions about what that mission is, why we're there, and what's going on, and why the American people don't know more about it. It's stunning. It I really mean, it, is. it really is stunning. Yeah. 
to think of how far flung our American troops are. You know, we're there. We're in Mali. We're in Yemen. We're in Somalia. God knows uh, where we are. Uh, and maybe all for legitimate reason. Sure. It's just that this is under the radar. No declaration of war. Uh, but these are troops, obviously, in combat situations, right, or potential combat situations, uh, all sent there strictly by the president of the United States. Well, uh, it'd be nice to know, by the way, um, and do we know? No, we don't. Where Donald Trump stands on this compromise legislation, the bipartisan legislation on health care, he has been all over the place on it. You know what I'm talking about. The, uh, the plan that's put together by Tennessee Republican Lamar Alexander, Washington Democrat Patty Murray, uh, and basically, they're, what they're trying to do is saying, okay, we failed to repeal Obamacare. Now, let's just do something to provide some stability for the people who are on Obamacare, who've taken advantage of the Affordable Care Act to sign up, and the insurance companies who are providing the policies so they all know they can go forward until we figure out what we're going to do in the long run. So let's come up with a fix, in other words. Uh, they've got a lot of support uh, in in this in the Senate among Democrats and Republicans. They don't have the support of Mitch McConnell, but and this is the one that last week Donald Trump said, "No, I don't want anything to do with that. I'm not going to help the insurance companies." Then he turned around a couple of days ago and said, "I think this uh, temporary fix is the way to go, and I think it's a good thing." And I congratulate Lamar Alexander for getting it done. The solution will be for yeah. about a year or two years, yeah. and it'll get us over this intermediate hump because we have, as you probably know, we have either have the votes or we're very close to having the votes. Uh, and then yesterday <laughs> he said just the opposite. Well, I'll take a look at that thing, but... We're going to see the bipartisan, and uh, Lamar <clears throat> Alexander's uh, working on it very hard from our side, and if something can happen, that's fine, but I won't do anything to enrich the insurance companies. Well, it's not enriching the insurance companies. What it is is providing subsidies to low-income Americans. I repeat, 70% of whom get these subsidies. 70% of them live in states that Donald Trump carried and probably voted for him, right? So it's, it's and there's 6 million of those people. And what Donald Trump is saying, I'm going to take health insurance away from them because I don't want to in any way uh, help the insurance companies. But again, he was against it, then he was for it, now he's against it again, and nobody can figure out where the hell he stands. And I think the bottom line is he doesn't know what the he hell he's no talking about. He has no clue. He does not have any idea what it's all about. No. no clue. No. No clue at all. And he hasn't had a clue about any of these bills that have sort of popped up over the last couple of months to sort of get things done with health care. He just has his eye on one thing, making Obamacare go away. He doesn't want to be president while something that's known as Obamacare is is a law. And you even yeah. hear when he I'm, talks about it, he just says Obamacare is dead. We're not right. going to talk about it anymore. Let's move on. I know. So what is it now? Trump care that he's trying no, to blow up? No, I'm telling you, the <laughs> answer is they should have renamed it Ivanka care. Ivanka then care. there would there be no, there would be no issue at all. Oh, he'd love it. All right. And uh, today at the White House, it is the governor of Puerto Rico uh, 
who's sort of a Donald Trump flunky, if you ask me. Mm. Um, he's he's been unwilling to say un, uh, anything anything un, uh, about how long it took uh, to get uh, assistance to Puerto Rico. But he comes into the White House today for a little visit. Um, one, by the way, Donald Trump probably considers this another foreign leader. He doesn't realize <laughs> he's an American. Right. Um, but one month after Hurricane Maria hit Puerto Rico, we still have one million Americans, not Puerto Ricans, we have one million Americans with no drinking water, and we have three million, I've got, maybe I've got it backwards, maybe. Um, it is three million, yes, one million with no drinking water, three million with no electric power still in Puerto Rico today. Uh, <clears throat> that's, that's called Trump care, I guess. Mm. All right. Hey, a quick break. Simone Pathé joining us from Roll Call coming up with the latest political news of the day. Uh, so stay right there as the Bill Press Show rolls on this Thursday, October 19th. Had a very nice conversation with the woman. Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. On a Thursday, October 19, hello everybody, welcome, uh, welcome back to The Bill Press Show. We're coming to you live from our nation's capital, our studio in Capitol Hill, joining you all across this great land of ours, coast to coast, uh, with the news of the day. Brought to you today by the American Federation of Teachers, Teachers of America. We thank you for your great work in the classroom uh, every day and your support of the program under the leadership of President Randy Weingarten. Check out their website at AFT.org. Join me in saying hello to Simone Pathé, who is a political reporter for the great Roll Call newspaper here in our nation's capital. Simon, nice to see you. Nice to see you both. All right, so I don't know. I don't want to speak for everybody, but I think one pence is enough. <laughs> what the hell is about to change? <laughs> yeah, what's going on in Indiana? Yeah, so um, this has been speculated for a while, but the vice president's brother, his eldest brother, Greg Pence, is going to run for Congress. Who's he? Um, so, I mean, other than Mike Pence's brother. Sure. Well, that's basically anyone knows about him. Um, he. Was, I just imagine like a black metal atheist. <laughs> You know, who's like a little goth character. He's just like the total opposite of Mike Pence, right? Let's hope. <laughs> no? Let's hope. So on paper, he has a pretty good profile for a Republican primary, taking aside the fact that, of course, he has a really great last name in the state of Indiana, not to mention he's running for the district that his brother held for a decade. Oh, yeah. So that helps. That'll help. Um, but he's a military veteran. Um, he's also a businessman. So check, check, Republican primaries. That goes over well. <laughs> um, he ran the family's oil and gas business. They had a, a gas station and convenience store conglomerate in Indiana and Illinois and other places in the Midwest. Um, the business got into a little bit of trouble for a while. Um, it since has filed for bankruptcy. His business now is owning these huge antique malls with his wife, Denise, in the state. Um, she's very politically active herself. She was an early Trump Does supporter. Does he call her mother? <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't know. I don't know whether it runs in the family or not. Yeah. Um, what's interesting, though, is I have heard that in the past couple months, as he was trying to make this decision, he was actually going around telling people in the district that he's not as conservative as his brother, which is an interesting mm. strategy. Um, he released late last night an announcement video nearly four minutes long. Guess who's not in the video? The vice president. Wait, really? <laughs> yeah, which is weird, right? Is it like a falling out? <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, and Trump doesn't make a cameo until halfway in, until the two-minute mark. Um, but, of course, he's repeating, you know, it's not just Greg that the narrator says. It's always Greg Pence. So people mm-hmm. know. And, and he looks a lot like his brother. He's been mistaken for him in the state. They've got the same white hair. He was a very close advisor to um, Mike Pence when he was congressman and governor of Indiana. So they were often together. Um that being said, it will be a crowded primary because open seats, you know, don't come along very often. And right, as I recall, though, um, Vice President Mike Pence, uh, when he was governor, there was speculation that he might have a hard time getting reelected because he wasn't that popular at right. the end of his right term, especially so, after like the, the business community turned against. A, uh, Vice President was kind of a lifeline for him. Exactly. Yeah. So I don't know if that's playing into his concerns. I would think that in a Republican primary, a lot of the concerns raised by RIFRA, the religious freedom law, you know, that that wouldn't mm-hmm. necessarily be a factor. Mm-hmm. But it'll it be interesting to see how much he does embrace his ties to the White House. Worth noting that he, um, Greg, has been the finance chair of Congressman Luke Messer's Senate campaign for the past couple months and has really been the public face of that campaign. I mean, it's his face. It's not Messer's face that appears on all fundraising emails for the congressman, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, that would so. be, be an interesting race to watch. Absolutely. Uh, and while some members are running to come into Congress, there are more and more members who are hanging up their congressional suits and getting out of Congress. Another Indeed. one announced today. Yeah, he hasn't announced yet, but the New York Times has reported this morning that Ohio Congressman Pat T. Berry is going to be retiring imminently. Um, he he represents a district in Ohio. Um, he has a ton of money, over $6 million. He almost ran for Senate earlier this year against Jared Brown. Um, of course, Josh Mandel is running instead. Um, but he's a, another pretty moderate Republican. He's chair of the Main Street Caucus in Congress, which is a group it's similar to the Tuesday group, mm-hmm. more pragmatic Republicans. Um, so to the extent that this signals there is frustration among Republicans who want to get things done, uh, this is another telltale sign. Or like yeah, I mean, Charlie, are... Charlie Dent, right? Who's... Yeah, yeah, that was the biggest. But there have been others, Dave Reichert from Washington, for example, uh, Dave Trott from Michigan. And also, this is not like a guy that's just saying, well, I'm not going to run again. He's retiring. He's leaving, right? Yeah, we don't know when. Right. And I, I, I mean, it could not be until next year. I'm okay, not sure. Fair. But, yeah, yeah it, it sounds like, like it. It seems like there's an exodus from, like, these Cushy congressional <laughs> jobs. I mean, these guys don't like you know. They get into this thing. They have pretty light schedule. They well, they get the travel yeah. taken care of, and they're just like running from it. Usually, I mean, the the trend in the past has been, uh, uh the party not in the majority, mm-hmm. members of the party not in the uh, members of the minority party. Let's right. put it that way. Like I remember, you know, George Miller from from California, several uh-huh. from California who stepped down. Sam Farr from California. Right. Uh, my good friend. They were. They were not in power. They couldn't get that much done. They said, what the hell? You know, you right. know why you even put up? But That makes but, sense. But Republicans who are in the majority, it's yeah. unusual for them, it seems to me, to be saying, even though we're in the majority, we're not getting much done and I'm tired, sick and tired of it. I'm leaving. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I mean, it's important to know every cycle has its number of retirements. I think we're still sure. below the annual 
level. But the distinction you make is a really, is a really good point. It is early. And to see people in power, I mean, he, it should be noted, has a powerful position on the Ways and Means Committee. That's not something you give up easily. <laughs> we, you know, we, we talk a lot about how little Trump has gotten done legislatively. But, like, you don't really think about all these members of Congress that are here this whole time just, like, not working. Right? I mean, I mean obviously they have busy work and they do little things. But, like, they're not getting legislation done. Right. So... No. And to their credit, the ones that I talked to, Republican and Democrat, they were very, they're very frustrated by oh, that. Oh, I believe that. I think the vast majority are very frustrated yeah. by that. I believe that. that. Yeah. And this speaks to a big concern among Republican operatives in town is that, you know, they're putting all their eggs in one basket right now. Healthcare didn't work out. Now it's tax reform. Everyone talks about it. tax reform. Forget and if, if they don't get it done by Thanksgiving, by Christmas, the they're fear not. is that tens of tens of Republicans are going to start. We're all kidding ourselves. I mean, we are all kidding ourselves if we think think there's going to be any tax reform legislation this year. First of all, it's not tax reform. We know it's tax cuts. (laughs) It's a series of, that's all they've talked about. That's all they put out there, tax cuts. And I was at the briefing yesterday and Sarah Sanders again gives us total BS about our goal is, you know, uh, tax cuts for every working class family in America. That's not what that's what she says. That's not what the list includes. Mm-hmm. It's all aimed at the at the top one or two percent. But my point is, given the dysfunction in Congress, you cover it closer than I. What am I talking about? But from my perspective, given the dysfunction in Congress and the experience that we saw with Obamacare uh, repeal, how are they going to possibly? They don't even have a bill yet. How are they going to possibly get that done by the end of the year? I, I don't know. With probably yeah. what. Me, they may have two and a half months, but they probably have less than 30 working days scheduled, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the time is always more condensed than you think looking at a calendar, right? Because uh, Mondays and Fridays don't count. And, <laughs> and not to throw too much rain on this parade, but then you also have uh, they get diverted by let's talk about whether, taking a knee. Let's talk about writing letters to gold star families, you know, off on all these tangents, which they all get tied up into because of Donald Trump, and they're not getting anything done. Yes. Right? Yeah. Like I said, that is a huge fear among Republican operatives in town, is that if they don't get anything done, they have nothing to go back to their districts to present. You just got to be sitting on pins and needles if you're a Republican, right? Like Bob Corker, who has been a um, a, a a good friend of Donald Trump, I'd say, for most of this time. He was one of the first people to meet with him after he was elected. There were rumors that he was going to get a, a cabinet position. Little Bob. Little, little, little Bob Corker. <laughs> he, um, you know, he, he carried a lot of water for the administration, and then he left and said a couple of na- nasty remarks about the president how he's running the White House. Mm-hmm. And now Donald Trump has gone completely against him and as many people have pointed out, Bob Corker is a vote that Donald Trump needs if he actually wants to get tax reform done. Certainly. So, like, if it could happen to Bob Corker, it could happen to anybody. Right. You know, it's That's not like he's bit, he's known as being a critic of Donald Trump. So, like, these guys and women who are members mm-hmm. are going to be sitting there just thinking, like, oh, God, when is he going to come <laughs> after me? Because yeah. it could happen to anybody. Speaking of retirements, um, or decisions made not to run. Uh, what happened to Susan Collins? What was behind that? I mean, uh, I think we all sort of uh, af- expected maybe that after a good run in the Senate, she'd be 
a cinch to win if she ran for governor of Maine. Mm-hmm. Why did she decide not to? You yeah, I think the two most recent health care votes in the Senate are a good indication of that. We all know she played a pivotal role in their failure. Um, and she was one of the few Republicans to stand up and say that the process wasn't right and the policy wasn't right for her, and for her state. Um, so she saw the kind of role that she could play on the national stage for an issue as important as health care. She also has been pretty involved in international relations, too. Um, so listening to her make that decision on Friday, which was very long, drawn out mm. decision and speech. I think the conclusion oh, I I mean, yeah. <laughs> she came the to tease, was that, the tease, yes, the, tease, the, the whole, drama all week long, right. Yeah. That she could be most effective here in the Senate. So it was stri- strictly that you think it was not. Yeah. I do. I think so. I mean, I think she would have faced some opposition within her own party if she ran uh, for governor. I don't think that would have been a serious threat. Um, I think she was probably also thinking about what would happen to her Senate seat if she left. Yeah. There was the potential that Governor Paul LePage could appoint himself. Um, that's probably not the legacy she wanted to leave the seat to. So. Yeah, Maine, he's crazy. Maine is so he's weird crazy. to me. He is crazy enough to do that. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, he's, oh, oh, 100%. he's expressed interest in challenging like, King. Like, he would like to be in the Senate. Just like I think, in fact, uh, I, the, this may be off the wall. We didn't prepare to warn you about this ahead of time. But I was just <laughs> thinking about New Jersey. I think Christie's, Chris Christie's crazy enough to, or ambitious enough to appoint himself for anything to happen to Bob Menendez. Sure. Yeah. Uh, is that going to be resolved? Uh, the trial is still underway. It's ongoing. It hasn't gotten a lot of attention. Right. But here's the United States senator. Yeah. Um, in jeopardy of losing his seat. If he were indicted, right. he loses his seat. Correct? Right. Right. So um, it or all comes down to timing happen. here. I mean, he wouldn't necessarily have to give up the seat if you were convicted. Convicted. Right. Um, he could be ex- not indicted, but convicted. He's been I guess. indicted, right? Yeah. But he he could be expelled. I think that takes a two thirds vote of the Senate. Um, and it depends when all. If this were to happen, it depends when it would happen. Because of course, there's a gubernatorial election in New Jersey in November. Um, Republican oh, right. governor likely to be a Democratic governor in January. <laughs> yeah. Right. So if he were to decide to leave or get kicked out or whatever next year, Democrats will breathe a sigh of relief because the expected winner of the race, Phil Murphy, will appoint someone. If yeah. it happens before then, <laughs> there's <laughs> a little more concern. Then, even uh, even if it happens between the election of a new governor exactly. and January, exactly. Chris Christie would still be governor. Would still be governor, right? And he could, right. Yep. Uh, and the prosecution, I think, is rested its case. It's the defense that's on so. now. I believe so. Yes. So yeah. that's a big that's a big question mark out there for sure. Yeah. On that, right? Yeah. Um, the other governor's race this year, of course, is in Virginia. Mm-hmm. Um, the latest polls this week um, make Democrats a little nervous. Yeah, you're seeing a little bit of a narrowing of the gap. Um, Gillespie has run a lot of um, fairly negative ads, uh, you know, trying to insinuate that Northam would be weak on crime, that it would be more dangerous, <laughs> gangs, whatever. Um, yeah, if you believe the ads, Northam is a member of the uh, MS-13. <laughs> MS-13. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so I think, I mean, part of this is Virginia. It has been a swing state in the past. So there's some natural tightening in the polls. I don't know how much of it is because of those recent ads. Um, but most Democrats, I think, still pre feel pretty optimistic that Northam will be okay. It's yeah, just such a weird time, you know? Yeah, like I'm nervous now. Yeah, I mean I I think I think if you're in Virginia, you you and you are a Democrat, I mean, don't take it for granted. I think there's a no, lot of energy no, 
against yeah. Donald Trump, and you kind of, kind of see that everywhere. He's got right. a low approval rating. You see lots of money being raised by candidates who are running as the anti-Donald Trumps. Right. But, like, you can't take anything for granted. You can't just assume that a Democrat's going to walk in. And don't forget that Corey Stewart, who's now running for Senate in Virginia, he came really close to winning yeah. the Republican primary against Gillespie. I think it yeah. was a point or less that separated him. And this mm-hmm. is the guy who, you know, thinks we should be flying the Confederate flag and is very Trump. And, and He was definitely the Trumpier no. of the two but Republican yes, nominees. Yes. The word is, right, for any of our viewers and listeners who are in Virginia or nearby, I mean, just work like hell between now and, and Election Day, whatever, for, for Ralph Northam, because that's going to be... It could be very, very close. And um, um, my, other, my other hope, first of all, I hope the Democrats from Virginia really, really turn out every last vote. They're going to have to, and an unprecedented grassroots effort. But also, Donald Trump, they're talking about it, getting Donald Trump into the state. And I would hope that would turn enough, on behalf of Ed Gillespie, <laughs> that that would turn enough people off of Ed Gillespie. Uh, hey, it didn't work in Alabama when he came to work for Luther Strange. <laughs> that's you know, right, like right. So, he, he came to try and rally the troops for Luther Strange, and and he got beat pretty heavily. Right. Um, to my knowledge, Steve Bannon is not a player in either of those two gubernatorial races, but he sure is in Alabama. Uh, and what other states? And is this a real effort that so-called establishment Republicans have to be? worried about Mm -hmm. and are worried about? Yeah. So the question right now is what states is he not playing in? He has Mm. said he wants to take on any or every Senate Republican except for Ted Cruz. (laughs) So that leaves a lot of them, Um, even (laughs) folks who you wouldn't necessarily (laughs) expect, you know, like uh, a Roger Wicker in Mississippi, for example, or a John Barrasso from Wyoming. These are people you don't really hear about (laughs) having tough elections. Oh, my God. so you're right. He he got a lot of notoriety for his role in the Alabama race. I think that's a little bit overplayed. Um, you know, he came in at the last moment and tried to prop up Roy Moore. Roy Moore was also doing pretty well already and yeah, had Roy a Moore lot was of win that race. Yeah, he, he had was a lot of notoriety in the state. And the idea that Luther Strange was the Trump candidate, I mean, just look at the guy. Yeah. He's not the Trump candidate. <laughs> like <laughs> he is as establishment as it gets. Rides around on a horse, pulls out a gun on stage. <laughs> yeah, I think Roy Moore is more Trump than Trump is. Right. So I don't think he needed Remember Bannon's help all that name. much. What was his horse's name? Sassy. Sassy, that's right. <laughs> Sassy the horse. Sassy. <laughs> um, but yes, there are plenty of other states where Bannon is starting to get involved. Uh, the pro-Trump outside group, Great America Alliance, which has some affiliations with Bannon, too, has now made endorsements in several key Senate states um, in primary. So Tennessee, they've gotten behind Marsha Blackburn. In Montana, they've gotten behind the state auditor, Matt Rosendale. West Virginia, they're behind Attorney General Patrick Morrissey. Um, what's interesting there is that all of those candidates are also, quote unquote, establishment Republican candidates. So you mm. have an interesting dynamic. Where so they're all supported by Mitch McConnell, probably. By McConnell. Right? They're getting help from the NRSC, whether it's yeah. officially here in Washington or you've got former committee staffers who are helping them. Um, similar situation in uh, Missouri, where you have Josh Hawley, who is expected to run. He was the you know the recruit that uh, McConnell really wanted pushed Ann Wagner out of the way to run for this seat to take on Claire McCaskill. Um, And he has support from the Club for Growth and potentially Steve Bannon, but he's also an establishment guy who's being pushed Hmm. to run by former Senator Jack Danforth, who is super critical of Trump. (laughs) So I think... So they're not necessarily just looking for 
way outsiders, huh? They're looking for, well, McConnell said last week they want people who can win. Right, right. So but, now how about Arizona? I mean, yes. And there are still some Nevada. cases. Arizona, of course, um, we had Bannon earlier this week down there for Kelly Ward. Um, Great America Alliance is behind Kelly Ward, too. In Nevada, you've got Danny Tarkanian, perennial candidate who's trying to challenge Dean Heller. So those are two examples that I would say right now are almost kind of outliers in terms of the Republican recruits who Bannon is behind. Um, so I think it's important to note that it's not it's not as simple as 2010, right, where you have the Tea Party and then you have the establishment Republicans. The alliances are a lot more jumbled right now. And you see that even looking at staffers in D.C. You've got anti-Trump people who are now working for Trump organizations. And it's just it's a lot harder to figure out where alliances lie. It's a lot messier. And where does Donald Trump's alliance lie with Mitch McConnell or with Steve Bannon? That's a great question. I think it's something we're going to be watching to see. I don't think there's going to be a consistent answer. I, you know, I think it's, it's like, going to. I think it's going to vary. Yeah. I think that's the thing with Bannon that's going to be so interesting. Is like, is there a wave of people who just can't take the anti-Trump sentiment and mm-hmm. they'll and they'll like back a candidate who is going to be fully there for Trump? Maybe, maybe in Alabama, mm-hmm. maybe in Arizona. Do I think Tom Tancredo is going to win statewide in Colorado? <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, there's a quote, actually, because uh, they, they, they asked Carl Rove about these Bannon candidates. Uh, and Carl Rove talked about the Bannon candidates. He says, so far, it looks like a collection of misfits and ne'er-do-wells. <laughs> End quote. Which is like, I mean, again, when you think about guys like Tom Tancredo... Colorado's changed a lot over the years, and like it, I know it's still kind of a purple state, mm-hmm. but like I just don't see a Tom Tancredo winning there. Uh, I don't think anything illustrates that Karl Rove's uh, time has come and gone as the use of the phrase ne'er do well. do wells, <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, it sounds like the 19th century, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> Scofflaws and rapscallions. Yeah. You know, we talk, <laughs> we talk a lot about. Um, John McCain and about some of the others um, but very little about Thad Cochran from Mississippi Yeah. but if there's any seat that could end up being empty that they don't expect it's that one isn't it he was back yeah. yesterday for the first mm-hmm. time in I don't know how many months and I saw a headline in Politico this morning. It was pretty devastating that the guy it was. disoriented and yeah. frail and and that's yeah. not new. I mean, I, talking to reporters who cover this and it closely, you know, the disorientation, the confusion has been there for a while. Um, and he's not someone who reporters necessarily go to for quotes or, or information because, I mean, he doesn't know. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that political piece, you know, the fact that he had to be led to the Senate chamber because he couldn't find it uh, is is pretty mm-hmm. concerning. Um mm-hmm. So politically, um, you know, leadership really does not want him to leave because you already have Chris McDaniel, who, if you recall, in, in 2014, almost knocked Cochran out in the primary. In fact, he won the primary and then there was a runoff because he didn't get 51 percent. Right. But so McDaniel is already challenging Roger Wicker. Oh. So if there is another open seat in Mississippi or an open seat, uh, you know, if you're Chris McDaniel, it makes sense to leave Wicker alone and go for the open seat. That's right. I forgot how that. that so, yeah, that's right. That's now, a scary prospect for McConnell. Um, how's of how is the in terms of these challengers? How's the fundraising going, vis-a-vis the establishment? 
Republicans? Um, that's a good question. I think, you know, they they have early money, and this is the case for Democrats, too, Democratic challengers. It's always easy to get early money, right, because that's what we call your love money. It's from your friends and family. Mm-hmm. Um, but for some of the big-time challengers, you know, especially at the Senate level, I think that remains to be seen. Um what kind of firepower Bannon has behind him, no one really knows. I mean, he's got the Mercers. And yes, Bannon is influential. If you look at West Virginia, for example, um, the Mercers had maxed out to Congressman Evan Jenkins, who's running in that primary for Senate to challenge Joe Manchin. And once Bannon got behind uh, Morrissey, his opponent, they switched and now are supporting Morrissey. So Bannon has some sway, but how much money he can actually bring behind those folks is to be determined. But it sounds like they'll have the resources enough to put a seri- up a serious challenge on almost everyone at these states. It would right? seem like yeah. it for yeah. now. Yeah. Right. Simone, a lot's going on here, and this is an off year, too. So <laughs> yeah, it's to keep you busy. Thanks so much. Follow Simone. Thank you. And our good colleagues at Roll Call at rollcall.com. Andrew Desiderio from The Daily Beast coming up next. This Thanks, is The Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody, this is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Once again, Donald Trump says, I have proof. But when asked to show proof, he shows up with nothing. What do you say? Hello, everybody. On a Thursday, October 19. Great to see you today. It is the Bill Press Show. Welcome, welcome, and thank you for joining us as we uh, join you anywhere in this great land of ours, coast to coast, from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., reaching out to you uh, online, on the airwaves, radio, and television with all the news of the day. Top stories of the day, yep, yesterday, the White House still engulfed in this uh, self-inflicted wound over uh, Gold Star families and who said what and he said, she said, uh, and according to at least a couple of people who overheard his conversation with the widow of one of the soldiers slain in Niger, that he was, was a, his comments were very insensitive and cold-hearted and cruel, and he didn't even know the slain officer's name. Uh, meanwhile, on Capitol Hill, Jeff Sessions running into a buzzsaw with members of the Senate Judiciary Committee, and Donald Trump saying, yes, I do support the Lamar Alexander Patty Murray bill. No, I don't. Yes, I do. No, I don't. Nobody knows where the hell he stands on that helping us sort it all out for this hour, this first half hour of our second hour together today. Andrew Desiderio, political reporter for The Daily Beast. Hello, Andrew. Hey, Bill. Good to see you. Good to see you, too. Back from uh, Alabama. That's uh, right. Other very parts with uh, the stories of what's happening with Roy Moore and Sassy. Sassy his horse. Sassy his horse. Oh. (laughs) You know what Sassy his horse likes to eat? Hey! (laughs) 
<laughs> I thought you were calling Doug Jones sassy there for a second. <laughs> oh, 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 oh my boy. <laughs> At any rate, so we'll get right into the news <laughs> with you. That's very good. And all of you, send us your comments on Twitter at BP Show. But first, this is the Full Court uh, Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. Imagine getting on your airline flight and you hear it is a totally unmanned flight. Mm-mm. That is the word from Southwest Flight that was taken from St. Louis to San Francisco yesterday. An unmanned flight. You mean an all-women crew? That's what I'm getting at. It was an mm. all-female crew. I've been, uh, I've, I've, including I've, the pilots? Yeah. All yeah. right. Well, this is. I've, they made a big deal about it online on, on social media. They put out there. Uh, only 6.7% of pilots across all airlines are females. And so they had four of the stewardesses were all female, and the two pilots were both women. So... We call them flight attendants today, please. Okay, well, what, you know what I'm talking about, flight yeah. attendants. Well, I didn't think that was a, a it, derogatory it's, term. It, it's considered that. Okay, well, flight attendant. They had four flight attendants that were female, and two uh, the two pilots were female. So they. But they seriously, put a, they I, put I, out a tweet that said the first unmanned Southwest flight on a Boeing Airlines. Southwest. Yeah, I yeah. remember flying. I don't know. What airline might have been Alaska from Redmond, uh, Oregon to San Francisco, but that. An all-female group. Guess go. what? Worked great. Got there. <laughs> I should I'll hope so. It. Yeah. Baseball playoffs continue. Last night, the Yankees. Un- it's unbelievable what's happening with the Yankees. They were down Incredible. three to nothing, uh, or two to nothing, I should say, yeah. In, in, yeah. in the series. They came back and won five to nothing last night against the Astros. They have taken a lead in the series. It's the worst story in America. Three right games to two. I mean, look, it. You shouldn't like the Yankees. But I will say this: this particular Yankees team is more likable than Yankees yes. teams in the past. Totally agree. I'll give I'll give them that. But it's still not okay to root for the Yankees. <laughs> uh, so all they need is one more win, and then they win the series. We move on to the Dodgers and the Cubs, where the Dodgers were winning that series three games to nothing last night. The Cubs came alive. Three to two was the final score, as they finally won a game. They're not going to get swept. It's going to Will be, they be able to come back? We'll see. I think it's going to be Do- Dodgers. Pretty clear. It's going to be Dodgers and Yankees. Looks that way. Go Dodgers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, ugh. The Dodgers move back to Brooklyn? <laughs> <laughs> On your radio, on TV, and online. This is the Bill Press Show. Proof? What proof? The White House says we don't have any proof. The president just said he had proof. He always says that and then never delivers. Hey, hello, everybody. Here we are again. Uh, it's the Bill Press Show, Thursday, October 19. Great to see you today. Thank you for joining us. Here we are with you on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Here we are with you on Facebook. Free Speech TV, and out in the greater Chicago area on the Progressive Voice of Chicago, WCPT. Hello, hello, and thank you for joining us. And remember, you're part of the conversation, part of the team. Send us your comments on Twitter at any time, at the BP Show. Uh, Here in studio with us, uh, Andrew DeSiderio from uh, The Daily Beast. Uh, Andrew, back uh, from Alabama, 
What's the story down there? Is it a real race between Doug Jones and Roy Moore, or is it a, kind of a done deal? I think it's more real of a race than we've seen in past years in Alabama. Really? Um, there are yeah. there are many different aspects at work here. Number one, it's a special election, right? So you're going to have low turnout regardless. And in a, a heavy Republican mm, state right. like Alabama, that helps the Democrats. You have uh, an, an incredibly sort of disliked and unpopular candidate in Roy Moore, uh, on the Republican side, and you have a very moderate, likable candidate uh, in Doug Jones on the Democratic side. There was a poll this week that came out. Uh, it was a Fox News poll. It said that Jones and Moore were tied at 42 percent, really? uh, which yeah. is which was pretty remarkable for a state like Alabama. Um, the problem with that poll was it was registered voters, not likely voters. Um, but I have a feeling mm-hmm. you'll see the you'll see the the polls move and ebb and flow and and sort of tighten more as we get toward. Uh, the general election in December, but I every day in the Capitol when I see Chris Van Hollen, who's the, the senator from Maryland and he's the chair of the DSCC, I ask him, so is the DSCC going to go all in in Alabama yet? And he's very wishy-washy about it because they're not sure yet that they have a real chance there because uh, they don't want to make the John Ossoff mistake and sort of put go all in on these candidates in special elections that like in past months this year, have, have, have lost pretty badly to Republicans. Well, isn't there a way of getting Doug Jones the help that he needs without um, making a big public deal of it so that everybody knows he's getting outside Well, help? it's hard because of people like me trying to probe about it all the time. <laughs> but <laughs> I'll tell you what. I mean, I, I don't think that a large Democratic apparatus going into a state like Alabama will help any candidate. Right. Because that's an easy line of attack oh, for yeah. Roy Moore. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Republicans in Washington or Democrats in Washington are coming down to help Doug Jones. Right. That's that's terrible for him. Um, honestly, if Doug Jones were an independent in this race, he might have it locked up. Uh, wow. I think the D is, is what's holding him back. Uh, but, you know, we see that with that well, poll this well, week, we, he's basically tied. We've talked about that before in a sense of, uh, OK, Joe Biden went down there because mm-hmm. I guess they've known each other for a long time. Yeah. Uh, and Joe's pretty, I mean, obviously, he's a big Democrat, former vice president, but he's still pretty much well-respected, I yes. think. Uh-huh. Uh, what other Democrat could could go down there and help him? Um, very good question. Uh, I I don't know. Obama <laughs> Obama wouldn't do any good for no, him. No, um, Obama's going to um, Virginia today to help mm-hmm. Ralph, Ralph mm-hmm. Northam. Um, yeah, I don't know of any other national Democrats who could really help him. Um, Joe Biden sort of got those blue-collar roots. He's very likable. Um, he was sort of the perfect guy to go down there and, and rally for him. I don't know if we'll see him again, uh, but in terms of national Democrats going down there to help Doug Jones, the list is very, very small. We had this so we, conversation the other day. I, I, I really can't think of any of them. No, no, yeah, no. I can't. No. So when you say a special election, and a lot of it does depend then on uh, energy, on turnout, mm-hmm. on enthusiasm. Um, you know, my experience is in those special elections, it's the crazies on the right who have the most enthusiasm and, and are more likely to turn out than, than, sure, and that was than the, the Democrats. That Isn't was the that case a, in the primary, too. That's one of yeah, the reasons why yeah. Roy Moore won, right? Because he had this core base of supporters that was going to turn out for him no matter what. Right. right. Very different circumstances when you get to a general electorate. And that's one of the things that the Democrats, the national Democrats, are going to evaluate. They're going to try to see, OK, what will the general electorate look like in December? Will there be enough Af- African-Americans to turn out? Things like that that they're going to have to evaluate before they say, okay, we're going to go all all in on this race. What is the, is there any overriding issue? Is it, is Donald Trump the issue? 
Um, you were down there. What are people talking about? It? Yeah, well, I, I, I mean, you're you're in the state where Donald Trump is the most popular out of any state, right? And I was right. obviously focusing on the Republican runoff, right, where you had Trump coming in for Luther Strange, but then people who love Trump also on the other side, right? Um, so he's obviously a, a prevailing issue here. Uh, but in recent days, there's been this issue of the Russian bots who have started to follow Roy Moore. I don't wow. know if you've been following that. No. And Roy Moore blamed it on on he his campaign released a statement blaming it on the Democrats and the media, saying the media has no you know better use of their time than to look at this stuff. Right. Well, Roy Moore's followers doubled right over a span of a week or something like that, and people started to notice it was Russian bots following him. Right. And the Jones campaign didn't really make an issue out of this. It's just that when reporters started to ask about it. The more campaign started to say, oh, this is the Democrats' fault. They're orchestrating this. Uh, so they've been talking about that a lot down there is, in Alabama. Are these like Facebook followers? That are no, no, just Twitter followers Twitter for followers. Roy Moore. And yeah. they're like Russian bots, essentially, that are upping his follower count, um, which is obviously suspicious, <laughs> given that what we know what happened in the last presidential election. So, yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's another issue that's happening. But oh it's mostly God. Donald Trump. Yeah. Uh, and... Is Roy Moore now considered the candidate of Donald Trump? Um, yeah, I mean, the president has has signaled he's all in for him. The RNC chairwoman, I think it was yesterday or the day before, Ronna McDaniel tweeted, you know, get out and vote, Alabamians. We need to. Excuse me, Ronna Romney. Ronna Romney McDaniel. <laughs> Can't forget that part. That's right. She seems to want to drop that off of her name lately. I can't uh, imagine why. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, she's all in for him. It looks like the Republican Party apparatus is there, but they also know that this is easy territory for them. Um, so while they might be, uh, you know, a little nervous that Doug Jones might win, I think the Republicans are pretty confident that Moore will, will uh, pick it off. Uh, you've been writing also about uh, the efforts on the part of Lamar Alexander and Patty Murray to come up with some kind of a bipartisan compromise mm -hmm. temporary fix to Obamacare rather than uh, a fourth attempt to repeal it. Yeah. Um, and it looked like it had maybe a little um, life after Donald Trump said some good things about it, right. which quickly he has abandoned, and now he's dumping on it. I'll I mean, tell you. Here's the latest. It does change every time he's yes. asked about it, but the very latest is yesterday when he was saying sort of like, yes, but... We're going to see the bipartisan, and uh, Lamar Alexander's uh, working on it very hard from our side. And if something can happen, that's fine. But I won't do anything to enrich the insurance companies. So where does he stand on this? I'll tell you, my editor said the other day, he said, you're going to be writing about health care the rest of your life at this rate. Because <laughs> it's just, it's dead, it's alive, it's dead, it's alive. Um, he, obviously the president doesn't have a major grasp of the healthcare specifics in that terms of the a, 1332 waivers, the CSR payments, things like that, right? Right. So you hear him talk about it and he talks in generalities when he says, oh, the bipartisan, right? It's much more complex than that. Like, what are the details? And then he says, we're not going to bail out the insurance companies. That is a common talking point of conservatives on Capitol Hill when they say they oppose the CSR payments, right? So last week, the president invalidated the CSRs, Right. In Alexander Murray, there's a two-year extension of the CSRs. Even if they were to repeal Obamacare today or tomorrow or next week, there's still going to be a two- or three-year gap for implementation, right? So something like Alexander Murray, in the meantime, as an interim catch-all stabilization plan, right, to keep Obamacare sort of above water, um, that's something that 
most people on Capitol Hill view as necessary, right? Almost all Democrats and more than 50% of Republicans, right? And the president in recent days has signaled, okay, he supports it. Well, I'm not going to sign something that's a bailout uh, of insurance companies, which he's referring to the CSRs there. Uh, I talked to Lamar Alexander yesterday. He said, well, I've I talked to the president this morning and he's still encouraging the effort, yada, yada, yada. And it just seems to me like Alexander and other Republicans who support this effort are trying to do damage control on the part of the president. And you talk to Democrats and they think that the president wants to sign this, but it's his staff that's convincing him to not sign it because it's not conservative enough. It's a giveaway to the Democrats, things like that. Um, So there's just a lot of factors at work here and it it could really go either way. Well, Nobody knew that health care could be so complicated. <laughs> That's you know, right. Who yes. could have possibly seen that coming? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and the other day, um, we played this clip a couple of days ago, that um, Donald Trump also seemed to take credit for getting this bipartisan thing going, that they would not have started talking, That's what, as he said, right. unless he had— This has been going on for two months now. Yeah, right. I, I, that's my question to you, right? Right. Yeah, here he is. This In was my opinion, yesterday. what's happening is as we meet, Republicans are meeting with Democrats because of what I did with the CSR, because I cut off the gravy train. So Ale- Lamar Alexander <laughs> and Patty Murray never talked to each other about this until last th- last Friday when Donald Trump cut off the gravy train. No, this has been in the works for months. And and, yeah. and the president, uh, by invalidating the CSR payments, what he did was he increased the sense of urgency to get towards a bipartisan deal, right? Uh, so in that sense, he might have unintentionally sparked this bipartisan deal. Uh, it doesn't seem to have gotten m- much support from Mitch McConnell. Mitch no. McConnell kept kind of putting it Well, aside. he's waffling. He's not, he's not committing to it well, or backing away from it yet. And, and, and when the la- latest repeal, which was the, uh, let's give the money to the states instead, the famous Rick Santorum barbershop Lindsey Graham deal. God, I still can't believe that... that <laughs> The Senate was dumb enough to pick up an idea from Rick Santorum in the barbershop. Uh, you know, I see him in the Senate now almost every day. He's still going up in the subway. Really? Uh, talking to his former colleagues. Yeah. You ask, I ask him what he's doing here. He's like, just talking to old friends. Yeah. So, sure. Uh, Tell him to get a life. <laughs> um, I don't think you'll listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> but at any Tell rate, him Bill Press said. Uh, he'll definitely <laughs> listen then. When... when uh, <laughs> When that the the latest repeal effort came up, I mean, Mitch McConnell or Lamar Alexander and Patty Murray even kind of pulled back, didn't they? And said, okay. "Yeah, they said they said we can't do this anymore in light of the Graham Cassidy right. push and also the single payer push from Bernie and the Democrats." Right now, do they have? I'm curious about this. Do they have any any? Okay, it's Lamar and Patty. Anybody else? Do they have um, any other co-sponsors, Republicans or Democrats? Uh, in terms of co-sponsors, I think you're going to see folks like Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, and John McCain co-sponsor this effort. Um, there's going to be a lot of – most Democrats are going to vote for this. Um, and probably, if it comes to the floor, around half of Republicans, right? And that's really all you need if you have most of the Democrats on board to get above the 60-vote threshold. The House is another story, right? And yeah, that's what right. people are, are, are worried about right now. Right. But that's So, what like, what would it do? Would it sort of like, would it keep the Affordable Care Act and the present system going for yes. like a couple of years, Yes, right? exactly. Yeah, okay. it, it would extend the CSR payments through 2019. Would it fix which is anything something, else? 
Well, the, so the CSR payments through 2019 is something okay. Democrats wanted. What mm-hmm. Republicans wanted is increased flex- flexibility, which is the 1332 waivers under Obamacare, which is what gives states more flexibility to set their own insurance regulations, right? That's something Republicans wanted. So you give the Democrats something, you give the Republicans something, it's a classic Washington compromise, right? But what the president's staff is telling him, like I mentioned before, his staff pushing back against him, and I talked. Mark Mark Short was at the um, the White the Capitol two days ago. Uh, he's the Mark. White House legislative director, mm-hmm. and what he told me was he essentially said, "We're not going to do something that's going to be a giveaway to the Democrats." So from his point of view, the White House already has enough flexibility under 1332 that they don't really need any more legislatively, and then they don't want to just give away the CSRs. To the Democrats, right? That was something that 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 was his concern, and that he's probably relaying to the president now. Um, so again, this is an instance of of probably the president wanting to get behind something and sort of get a legislative accomplishment tacked off the list, uh, but his staff pushing back against him and saying, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Don't give away everything to the Democrats." I find it um, somewhat um, curious that the the rhetoric for the last couple of days from Donald Trump from a supposedly pro-business Republican mm-hmm. big businessman is all trashing the insurance companies. Yeah. I mean, he. so it, it's sort of a, a, a Not that I'm a fan right? of the insurance companies, yeah. but they are under, and I'm not a big Obamacare fan either, but under Obamacare, they are a major player. Mm-hmm. And in terms of expanding health coverage to people who can't afford it, mm-hmm. uh, they're an essential player under this system. Totally. Right? Yeah. So what the CSR payments do is they're subsidies that that specifically they subsidize deductibles and copays, right? And then the idea is if you take them away, what the CBO predicts is that to make up for that lost federal funding, the insurance companies are just going to jack up the premiums, right? Which, which is just going to put a lot of people out of the marketplace and cause some insurers to even just pull out altogether in some of these counties, right? So what's what's pretty incredible here is that something Republicans have hated about Obamacare is those two things, right? Higher premiums and insurers pulling out of the marketplace. And one of the risks of not signing on to Alexander Murray is those two things happening, right? Mm-hmm. So, And the numbers that I saw the other day, I think it was Associated Press that pointed out with roughly 6 million people who would be impacted by mm-hmm. that, 1.8 million were Hillary Clinton voters and 4.1 million were Donald right. Trump voters. Uh-huh. 70% of all of them lived in Red states. And out of the Trump 10... Trump states. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. so politically, why does this make sense? Out of the 10 states that are most most beneficial or benefited by the CSRs, yeah. nine of them voted for, for the president. This isn't crazy. It yeah. really is amazing. Crazy. And this is something the Democrats have been saying for months now. I, I talked to Senator Tom Carper from <laughs> Delaware over the summer, and I rem- remember him saying it's very ironically cruel of the president to, to threaten at that that time to cut off the CSR payments, which is something that affects most of the people who voted for him, right? Um, and then, of course, that he ended up doing that, and that's what we're seeing happening. But it's also like, you know, these these elected officials have seen what happens when you try and take something away from your constituency, right? Like, that's, mm-hmm. that's probably the number one rule of politics, realistically, is... Once you give people something, mm-hmm. you're going to have a hell of a time taking it back. Even if it's it something that you don't like, like Obama. Sure, did, sure. Right? Or that you, you think you don't like. Right, exactly. Yeah. Now, now that it's it's fully implemented, it is the law of the land, it's much harder to then just take it away. And when you unilaterally decide to do that, that could hurt you politically. Oh, yeah. Right. No. 
Okay, so you're there every day. You're talking to mm-hmm. these senators. Um, what are they? What are they saying about tax reform? Um, well, today they're finalizing the budget resolution, which would fast track tax reform. Right? It would allow them to do it without having to get sixty votes. They can just do it with a simple majority. Um, and it looks like that's on track to pass. Uh, well, the yeah, problem and, is, gonna, and we all know that if they only need fifty votes, they'll have no problem getting fifty. I was, votes. I was just about to say the problem <laughs> with that is you run into the same issue as healthcare, which is there are a lot of divisions within the Republican Party. As, particularly in the Senate when it comes to the issue of tax reform, right? The more fiscally conservative Republicans, folks like Bob Corker uh, and others, are not going to vote for something that adds a penny to the deficit over time. The problem is what the Nonpartisan Tax Policy Center and others have said, based on the framework we have, we don't have legislative text yet, but we have a framework. Based on that framework, you're going to add about, I think it was $2 trillion or something to the debt over 10 years if you don't have enough offsets. I thought right? it was more, but anyhow, yeah, whatever the number is. Right. The yeah. point is, if it adds anything to the deficit, you're going to lose Corker, you're going to lose a bunch of other people, right? Um, and then you run into the same problems as you did with healthcare, right? You're trying to give away certain goodies to different senators from different states to try to win over their votes, and that's not going to work. So they, they would only need, first of all, they need a bill, mm-hmm. which they, they need don't a bill have. First. They, they don't have which, that. which they don't have. Right. Okay. Uh, once they get a bill, uh, they're going to need, so if they fast track it, uh, they're going to need a minimum 50 votes. Uh-huh. Uh, Rand Paul has already said he's voting against it. Um, not quite. I mean, he, okay. he's threatened I... to vote against the budget resolution oh, that they're right. that okay. they're going through today, and then they're going to be voting all throughout the night and probably pass it. But yeah, no, no, no. Good point. Right. The the vote against the budget doesn't mean the vote against whatever right. the tax. The budget reform, is just the vehicle to get to tax reform. Whatever the tax reform turns out mm-hmm. to be. Yeah. But certainly, uh, given. Um, Bob Corker's mm-hmm. the comments in terms of comments about Bob Corker yeah. back and forth, uh, John McCain, uh, the continuing ambivalence of a Susan Collins or a Lisa Murkowski, mm-hmm. uh, Rand Paul being a wild card, right? There's 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 really no guarantee that they could round up fifty votes. No, it's not going to be any easier than health care, and I think it's naive to suggest then, that that's the case. Right, and then maybe Thad Corker and. Cochran, I guess, is mm-hmm. right. Not being there. Did you see that Politico piece about him, by the way, yesterday? Devastating. Yeah. That was, that was bad. Been there for decades and didn't know where the Senate chamber was. Yeah. Had to be like, I. By the way, crazy. <clears throat> yeah. I, I wonder how many, how many people there are like that in the Senate. Right. Like, yeah. I, I, like I look at, and I'm not saying that it's like an epidemic or anything, mm-hmm. but like there were, there were some rumors of, um, that Jim Bonning, when he was in, uh, mm-hmm. when he was in, passed away recently. Yeah, but he just passed yeah. away. That he had sort of like he he didn't know much. Mm-hmm. He didn't know where he was going. Yeah, and, and like these are people who still have a lot of power. And the mm-hmm. same thing with Thad Cochran. They still have like a lot of power. Yeah, definitely. He's the head of the Appropriations Committee, yeah. which is key to this tax reform process, mm. right? Um, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, I, 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 you know, over time there have been. People like that. Sure. I, I don't know that there's anybody else in that category today, other mm-hmm. than the Thad Cochran. Mm-hmm. Um, Orrin Hatch is getting up there, um, but still very much capable. Um, yeah, you talked to him. He's pretty, pretty sharp. Chuck yeah. Chrysley is. I saw him not that long ago. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it just reminded <laughs> me uh, the one time uh, I had was invited uh, to lunch in the Senate dining room um, oh, several years ago by Senator Bernie Sanders. This was uh, long, long, long yeah. before Bernie Sanders became Bernie. Uh, 
And we went from his office over through the on the subway to mm-hmm. uh, the Senate to the Senate, right? Uh, to go to the Senate dining room. Bernie didn't know where the Senate dining room was. Really? Not because he was frail and old and confused, because he had never been there. Sure. Oh, really? He had never <laughs> been there. It was so That's funny. That's hard to believe. No, he had been a senator what for I don't this? know how long. Mm, pick a year. I don't know. Um, huh. But and uh, he had just. That's not his style to hang right. out, you know. And the, yeah. Well, he just, he just saddled at his desk or something like yeah. that. But it was really funny. We had to ask, a, and I didn't know, we had to ask an officer. What do you have for lunch today? <laughs> should I get the salad or should I get the tuna fish sandwich? It's <laughs> pretty good. Bill, what are you having? <laughs> uh, Jeff Sessions had a good day yesterday. <laughs> not so good day uh, yesterday. No. Uh yes, uh he uh, he uh, tried to hold his own there, Jamie. Where first of all, on the uh, travel ban, the Muslim travel ban. Mm-hmm. No, it's been shut down three times by three different judges. Uh, Jeff Sessions still says it's a it's a it's a God bless America. The president's executive order is an important step to ensuring that we know who is coming into our country. It's a lawful, necessary, and uh, order that we are proud to defend. Boy, you know, he's a loyal soldier there, even on the Dreamers, <laughs> on DACA. No, President Obama broke the law. A DACA policy produced by the last administration could not be sustained. It was unlawful and contrary to the laws passed by this Constitution, this institution. I sort of had the impression watching Sessions that he expected to get the red carpet treatment in front of that committee yesterday, right? No, I mean, it's and his Democrats former, weren't giving it to him. Yeah, no, they certainly were. I think the biggest point of contention was this idea of executive privilege, right? Which yeah. the president hadn't had neither claimed nor waived, right? And every time somebody asked him a question even remotely about something the president might have told him, he claimed executive privilege, right? So you're getting into this wishy-washy legal territory, which is very confusing. Um, but I think that was the main uh, story to come out of this because he's still not answering questions about uh, these key things like the Comey firing, conversations about DACA, conversations about uh, what conversations he had with the Texas Attorney General leading up to the DACA decision. All these that are key questions that we would love to know, but Jeff Sessions wouldn't answer in a public I, session. I thought. I thought it was telling. Maybe it was Sheldon Whitehouse, a senator from Rhode Island, who said that um, you you cite this executive privilege, but you as attorney general have the authority to waive that executive privilege and tell us what you talked about. Again, it's a really wishy-washy legal territory. That was Whitehouse, though. Yeah. Was it? Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yep. But, but – um, the, the exchange with Franken was – was pretty remarkable. I wish that went well, on for like a couple of hours so they could hash it out finally. Right. But and the issue Al was uh, Senator Franken was real was pushing <laughs> was was real, which was, you know, you keep changing the goalpost on what is uh, a conversation with the Russians. They got really into the weeds about yeah. you know Sessions was like reading off of a paper. Well, here's what you asked me, and here's what I exactly said, and it takes more than five or ten minutes in a congressional hearing to really get to the bottom of that and hash out those differences so that was a really interesting exchange when they got into that because you saw a lot of different elements at play one of the you hit on earlier is sessions was sort of complaining well well, he got 10 minutes of time and i should have they're like well no you're not a senator anymore you're not you're not guaranteed anything he was getting mad at chuck grassley yeah 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 yeah, yeah. and 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 he kept trying to say well yeah 
Uh, well, I, I, was, I met with the Russian when I was, as you asked me about being, when I was a surrogate for the campaign. Right. But then I met with him as a senator, but I wasn't meeting with him as a surrogate of the campaign. He was meeting with the Russian ambassador. Right. And Al Franken says, the Russian ambassador is He's a Russian. Russian. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah, Jeff Sessions didn't really like that too much. <laughs> uh, but you know one thing, uh, rightly or wrongly, wrongly, I think, I mean, despite all the criticism of Donald Trump dumping on him publicly so many times, Session is still just a loyal Loyal puppy, foot soldier. Loyal puppy dog, right? Yeah, he really is. Totally. Andrew, what great fun you have over there. Yeah. All right. It's never a dull moment. Thanks for your, <laughs> thanks for your good work. So thanks, thanks for coming in. At thanks. the Daily Beast, thedailybeast.com. Uh, from the Truman National Security Project, Bishop Garrison joining us next year. So don't go anywhere. Stay tuned for the Bill Press Show. Now, I have to tell you, it's an unbelievably complex subject. Nobody knew that healthcare could be so complicated. Get social with Bill Press. Like us at Facebook.com slash Bill Press Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Live video. Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Hello, everybody, and welcome back here to The Bill Press Show as we wrap up here on this Thursday, October 19. Good to see you today. Good to have you with us. We're in Washington, D.C. That's where we start out. We end up right alongside of you anywhere in this great land of ours, coast to coast. Uh, And we're brought to you today by the American Federation of Government Employees, those great men and women of the AFGE under President J. David Cox, who keep our federal agencies running, uh, not just here in Washington, D.C., all across the country. Salute them and thank them for the support of the program. Direct you to their website to find out more at afge.org. Org, uh, yes, uh, another in another self-inflicted wound. The White House still uh, dealing with this controversy that Donald Trump himself started on Monday, when asked about why he hadn't said anything about uh, four American officers slain in Niger on October the fourth. Uh, he turned around and said, "Well, at least I'm going to call those families. No other president ever did." Um, that started this whole controversy, which continued yesterday at the White House briefing and even continues today. Bishop Garrison is a uh, defense council member at the Truman National Security Project, formerly deputy for, um, for foreign policy for the Hillary Clinton for president campaign. Joining us in studio, Bishop, it's nice to see you. Thank you so much for having me. It's an I honor to be here. I forgot your most important credential. You're a native of South Carolina. I am. I'm Palmetto sur- son. Palmetto son. All right. <laughs> Surrounded by uh, South Carolinians. <laughs> yes, sir. Here. Charleston and Lexington. Lexington. Right? Go Wildcats. Here <laughs> 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 you go. And I just came back, as I mentioned, from a couple of days down in Charleston myself. So here we are, all Palme- Palmettans today. Palmetto. <laughs> Sons of Palmetto State. I don't know. How are you going let me ask you, before we get to this controversy about this phone call, Sure. do you know, what are we doing in Niger in the first place? Well, uh, again, thank you for having me. The uh, The main part of why we're uh, out there right now is to help our, our partner uh, states, our allies, in the fight against terror. 
Uh, and that's one of the uh, main and traditional uh, missions of Special Operations Forces, particularly uh, Army Green Berets uh, Special Operators, is to go in and train uh, the trainers to help uh, train and then, if necessary, fight alongside uh, allied forces in uh, areas of contention. So we're in Niger, we're in... Yeah. Uh, it was to train uh, uh, right. forces for uh, Mali and, and all of the uh, right. uh, states uh, Mali, around there. Libya, yes. wherever that... Yeah. Hold because that's become um, sort of the recruiting grounds for ISIS and Al Qaeda now. Is- yeah, it, it's it's a hotbed of activity is uh, is one way to put it. It's uh, recruiting grounds. It's uh, uh, training uh, areas. It's uh, uh, some of these destabilized regions that they have the ability and opportunity to go in and and uh, adjust the uh, the government and adjust the uh, the political forces there however uh, they need to or see fit in order to uh, continue their own activities worldwide. I checked this morning that uh, this all started under President Obama in 2013 with 100 troops being sent there. We now have 800. Yes. Um, this is all very much under the radar, isn't it? It, it, it is very much so, and uh, to some degree, uh, personally, in terms of operation security, OPSEC, uh, I'm happy that they have it that way. Uh, we do, as uh, the American citizens, have both a right and a need to understand and know what our government is doing, where our uh, troops are stationed and located uh, at any particular time, but there is a need to uh, protect the interest of those troops, the, the mission and the operations there. Uh, so for sometimes you're going to have uh, instances where even though we have a, a great many troops in harm's way, uh, it does fly under the radar a bit, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. There seem to be some questions, and it'll be a while before we know sure. all about this particular raid and this ambush. Mm-hmm. Um, were they properly prepared uh, and protected in this mission? Do you believe? Um, I I I don't know how uh, to to properly address that directly. What I'll say is that uh, having uh, friends who have served in uh, special operations units, uh, I I know that they go through a tremendous amount of uh, preparation, of uh, training, of foresight before they enter into uh, any type of activities, whether they be kinetic or non kinetic, more the traditional teaching role. So um, I know on the ground those uh, dedicated soldiers, uh, airmen, uh, Marines, uh, all of them, uh, did everything they needed to do to be uh, prepared. The question more strategically, uh, did they have the uh, the proper intel? Uh, did they have the yeah. proper oversight? That That's something that I think uh, a thorough investigation will uh, help bring light to. Right. I'm not being critical. It's no, just absolutely. NBC, absolutely. Uh, CBS reported last night that, that they had been on the same mission, this same patrol, 29 times in yes. the past and never encountered anybody. Yes. And this time they went out on another, what they thought was going to be routine, and they were told, don't expect to meet anybody this time either and then suddenly the four of them and there's no air cover there are no planes yeah. nearby whole helicopters nearby and and they're ambushed by 50 isis fighters now absolutely right? and we and unfortunately we see uh uh instances like this in the past with uh, mogadishu somalia back mm-hmm. in the uh, 90s uh you yeah. see for uh for ba- uh, the situation at black hawk down was based on you see uh individuals uh rangers uh going out saying hey it's going to be absolutely routine you don't need your night uh, optical devices your nods tonight we don't need to take extra ammo and you know but unfortunately look what happened so uh, i i think again this is where a thorough investigation from both uh the 
the Pentagon and the Hill is really going to help uh, uh, bring to light what exactly did happen and what the uh, overall circumstances were. Just like uh, if we could dig into Benghazi <laughs> uh, the way we did and have uh, 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 yeah. officials continue to say, you know, there's no smoke or no fire, I don't see why we shouldn't be digging into uh, this situation as well. Uh, absolutely, and an ex- excellent point. Now, that, 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 that to me is a very, very interesting point because you yeah. look at what happened with Benghazi, which I mean, became sort of a rallying cry for conservatives and became like something that just hung around Hillary Clinton's neck for the entire campaign. Uh, Yeah. And talk about politicizing a military tragedy. Totally, totally politicizing. So, So let's get to Donald Trump's response to this. It was reported late yesterday that the National Security Council actually immediately prepared a statement for the president. Yeah. Uh, this this uh, ambush occurred on October the 4th in the evening. The next morning, that statement of sympathy, of regret, whatever, uh, on the part of the president, the first lady, was given to the uh, White House at 10 a.m. by the National Security Advisor's office. Mm-hmm. Um, never released, never mentioned, no nothing until two days ago or three days ago. Now, Monday... Reporters ask uh, the president about it at the Rose Garden. Why that 12 days of silence? Well, first and foremost, uh, I just want to start off by I, I I don't know if you had an opportunity to see it this morning. There was a a, a new NBC news poll that says 72 percent of Americans are concerned about uh, there being some type of war within the next four years. Uh, mm-hmm. Whether that's from North Korea, whether it continues the uh, the majority or. Oh, the war with ISIS, the war on terror, yeah. uh, China, Russia. So what I first want to just say is to uh, reemphasize uh, to everyone how important it is for us to come together uh, as, as a country right now and reassure ourselves that even though we're going through a tumultuous time, uh, we're going to be okay. We're Americans. We're resilient. Uh, we're going we're gonna to continue to fight and we're going to be safe. Totally agree. Um, what I, I to put all the the numbers and timelines and data aside for a minute, I think what it really comes down to is empathy. Uh, when you're talking about uh, putting soldiers in harm's way, when you're talking about the families, the military families, uh, the friends that have uh, that go without these soldiers uh, for uh, months, years at a time. Uh, it's important for us to realize that first and foremost, one of the uh, positions for the commander in chief and for the uh, uh, government leaders as a whole is to reassure those families, to to help them through their grieving process and to have some level of empathy, of understanding as to uh, the loss uh, and the sacrifices uh, that soldiers uh, make. Uh, sold, and when I say soldiers, I mean yeah. airmen, Marines. Right. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean right. everyone, Coast Guardsmen. Yeah. Uh, that they make uh, throughout their careers. I think a, a true lack of understanding, a true lack of empathy is what we're seeing right now. And it's it's beyond unfortunate. It's disgusting. Uh, it's uh, a, an administration that's targeted uh, Gold Star families uh, previously as a campaign and as a candidate uh, in the past with uh, Captain Khan's family. Uh, and then to only turn around and try to use uh, General Kelly and, and the grieving that he and his family has experienced in the past as a uh, political ploy uh, to dismiss anyone that might uh, come against the uh, the president and what's going on in the administration is just completely disheartening. Uh, and yesterday, if I can just uh, sure. at the briefing yesterday, of course, um, and, and I went to the briefing at, like I think most other reporters are there because we wanted to see the proof that Donald Trump 
promised and said he had that he did not say what Congresswoman Frederica Wilson overheard and the mother of Sergeant Johnson overheard in that conversation on speakerphone with Maisha Johnson, uh, the widow of Sergeant LaDavid Johnson. Um, So Sarah Huckabee Sanders can't offer any proof because there wasn't any proof. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're right. She cited, well, General Kelly was in the room. Exactly. That's not proof. Exactly. Um, But then, of course, she turns around and attacks the congresswoman. Here she is. I think it is appalling uh, what the congresswoman has done and the way that she's politicized this issue and the way that she is trying to make this about something that it isn't. Well, uh, she's appalled by it. She's appalled by it, right. Uh, It seems to me that it was Donald Trump who first politicized this issue in the Rose Garden when he said, I'm going to call these families and Barack Obama never did. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's a part of the problem. It's the president that uh, politicized the issue to begin with. And that's something that, uh, again, we have not seen ever uh, before in the history of uh, of uh, the American electorate. And it's uh, it's really disheartening. Again, this is a time in which you we as a country lean on our elected leaders, particularly the president, uh, to find some level of compassion and understanding in these types of tragedies for him to be the one that's politicizing it is uh, just beyond the pale. It's unbelievable. Yeah, and there was nobody better, by the way, at that than Barack Obama, who was we were talking earlier about at Sandy Hook, at a mother AME, and other occasions where... Absolutely. Yeah. He, uh, you, he, he knew their names? Yes. <laughs> well, there comes a time when you put politics aside. You absolutely do. There is no... Uh, there is no competitive spirit when you're trying to work through uh, a grieving uh, a family that is grieving going through these uh, tragedies. And I don't believe uh, President Trump truly understands that. And that's a fundamental uh, part of the issue. When when you look at everything uh, as, as a competition, when you uh, look at everything as a winner versus a loser type situation, you don't understand what it means to come together and have these uh, uh, opportunities for uh, for compassion and for empathy. You know, um, however he meant it, it's certainly the, the statement which was, uh, according to the congresswoman, which I believe that she overheard was, you know, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but he knew what it, he, he certainly knew what he was getting into when he signed up for this. But it still must hurt something like that. Cold, about as callous and cold-hearted as you can imagine. You know. I'm willing to believe that Donald Trump didn't mean it that way. You know, I really do believe that. Yeah. But it certainly sounded that way. And once he found out that the widow was hurt by this, wouldn't it have been the th- proper thing to do is to say, gosh, I'm sorry if my words were that, that were mistaken. I mean, if taken in the wrong concept, I certainly didn't mean it that way. No, no, no. And what can I do to help? And I'm so sorry. You but know. you have to be able to admit that you're wrong. And that's something this uh, uh, this president and this administration has never been able to do. I don't think he's it, never done it. He's never done it. And and I, I just want to, you know, knowingly get up on my high horse here for a second. <laughs> uh, as a veteran, uh, son of a veteran, son-in-law. Oh, I'm losing Whoop, my sorry, earpiece. Don't worry sorry. About it. Don't need it. Uh, I'll tell you when you need yeah. it. <laughs> son-in-law of a veteran, grandson-in-law of a veteran, grandson of a veteran. Uh, so I, I, I come oh, from a family yeah, that you, understands what this means. Um and 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 that's that's problematic. I don't think that uh, that 
President Trump has ever really come from a position of understanding to begin with to even understand what he what it is he's said that is that's wrong or hurtful that uh, someone might take the way he actually the, the, the way uh, Americans uh, heard it. And uh, furthermore, he's not listening to his top advisors who do understand it. I was a, a young uh, junior military officer, young JMO in the third ACR under uh, H.R. McMaster when he was uh, mm. our regimental mm. commander. He is a man that understands and gets what it means to lose troops, to lose soldiers out in the battlefield and what that ultimate sacrifice is. So I it, I cannot believe that he would not be in the president's ear attempting to explain exactly how you handle these situations. He's not listening. And that and that is a part of the ongoing theme that we see uh, within the Trump administration. You mentioned also uh, that John, uh, General John Kelly, the chief of staff, yes. how they have dragged him into this. And this is General Kelly who has made a point losing his son blown up by a landmine in Afghanistan, yes. I believe, uh, has just said, I mean, as much as he's grieving for his son, he didn't want to make a test cave, you know, because I'm a big general, therefore he's going to get more attention than mm -hmm. anybody else. I mean, he doesn't want to talk about it. He never yeah. talks about it, grieving privately over it. And now they've just dragged him in right in the middle of this controversy. Yeah, and it's it, it's heartbreaking. I, General Kelly is uh, one of I think he'll be viewed in history as one of the great servants uh, to uh, to serve our nation uh, throughout his uh, long and distinguished career. Uh, he is a man that had to go very deeply and uh, through his own uh, personal and uh, private grieving and never wanted. Uh, his family or uh, the memory of his son to be in this light. And now you have a president that sees it as political leverage and does the exact opposite of that. And it, I can't imagine uh, what he and his family are going through, but, you know, it, it, it breaks my heart. And I just uh, my heart absolutely goes out to them. You, you know, he's not happy with that yeah. being used the way Trump. No, is no, him. not at all. Not at all. He never yeah. wanted that. I saw a great political cartoon yesterday that showed a uh, a widow with a, a casket and Trump walking up to her and saying, "Do you have any idea how hard this is for me?" Yeah, and like yeah. that that I think is is Trump's outlook on 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 everything. Like this this whole thing of, I mean, I think he views these things as a hassle. I think that's why he didn't do it in a timely manner. He considers himself to be too busy to have to do these little things like Absolutely. call the families of of fallen service members. Um, I just don't think Trump looks at this as something that's worthy of his time. Yeah, and and to which me, is remarkable. And to me, the the biggest thing is let's say that his statement was taken out of context to sure. some degree, put in the best light. Why ever even say anything remotely close to that to begin with? Uh, what all your all you should be saying is, "I'm so sorry for your loss. We grieve with you. I cry with you. Uh, our thoughts are with you." The end. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's Think, it. That's it. Like, get out of there. Like, there is no reason to continue to compound or say anything additionally that that takes you down this type of path. And now you have another family that's saying he offered them $25,000 that never materialized. Why are you offering anyone that yeah. a, a, a payment like that to begin with? And by the way, just an update on that. That was June 10 when he had that conversation. Uh, we will, I'll send you a check for $25,000. Uh, the family, the father of the, uh, from North Carolina, this uh, officer slain, 
was saying, you know, the family's in bad shape. They don't know how they're going to make it through. They were thinking about having a little fundraiser. Donald Trump says, I'll send you $25,000 and we'll help raise you money. Mm-hmm. They never heard from him again until yesterday when the father told the Washington Post that because the Washington Post was calling all families of Absolutely. officers, of, 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 of troops who have lost their lives since Donald Trump's been president. They, this, they heard this from this uh, man in North Carolina. And then they called the White House yesterday, and yesterday the president sent a check for $25,000. And there you have it. A personal check. A personal check. He never would have done it never. unless the Washington Post. Well, and this is just goes back to the campaign yeah. with the $6 million that he promised uh, uh, yes, uh, yes. veterans groups. Like, oh, yeah. And it never did until you had, I think it was no. uh, uh, David Fahrenheit. David Fahrenheit. That went who? through and said, hey, have you folks uh, received any of this money? And then it's like, no. oh, now he's at a press conference reading off all the checks he wrote uh, yesterday. But that was, a, uh, yeah. And and for that, he promised mm-hmm. himself he was going to write a check for a million dollars and did not until David Fahrenheit wrote a story for which he got the Pulitzer Prize, deservedly. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, I want to I want to switch topics here with you for a sure. second, if I can. Okay, sure. Um, as a veteran, yes. Um, do you think that NFL players who take a knee at a football game are showing disrespect for the military and for the flag? Uh, I and it, this is uh, funny because uh, uh, some friends and I we have an email thread where we uh, speak on everything that's happening from uh, basketball and maybe one day we can come back and talk about the the Wizards in the playoffs or something yeah. get have me back on <laughs> but we talk about everything from uh, sports to politics to families everything and uh, we had a very uh, strong uh, heated debate about this and for me personally as a, as an African American from the South. Uh, who has parents who lived through the civil rights uh, movement as kids, grew up in a segregated South. Uh, This is a very important topic to me. I love living in a country where on one side you can have a man at a a football game taking a knee to support injustice, not speaking out against the anthem or the flag because that's not what he's doing. He's trying to bring light to uh, injustices across uh, the country, particularly as they uh, pertain to young African-American men. And on the other side of uh, the field, you can have people standing up proudly, singing their hearts out uh, and saluting uh, the flag. I love living in that country. That is important. I I think we absolutely need to continue to have the ability to uh, speak out against injustices and to do so in a way that is nonviolent. Uh, and uh, and in silent uh, protests. And that's exactly what you have with uh, Kaepernick. But what do you say about the Donald Trump who says that they're showing disrespect for the flag and for the military? Being an individual personally who uh, who has who fought, who's put himself in arm's way, who's led troops in arms in harm's way, excuse me, uh uh, to protect the ideals of this country, at the end of the day, we continue to be Americans regardless of whether or not we kneel in front of a flag or whether or not we sing the uh, Star Spangled Banner or simply stand in silence when it is mm. played. Uh, that's something that I think he's really honestly missing uh, here across across the board. Right. No, he's trying to turn this whole thing, right? into all about patriotism. It's another right. distraction is what it is. It's you wanna, exactly right. You want to yeah. talk about patriotism, what's going on with Trump and Russia? What happened? With, <laughs> I, I want a full-out continued investigation of all of the different dealings that, between Carter Page and Manafort and Flynn and everyone in dealing with uh, Russia to throw off uh, a presidential election. That That's what true patriotism looks like. The thing to me is, like... 
any time that a Republican from here on out, forevermore, stand, I'm not trying to politicize this, but I think the Republicans have made a, a lot of them have made careers out of politicizing the military. And they say, well, Republicans are the party of the military. We support troops, Democrats, they don't. Just look at what Donald Trump has done. Yeah. Look at what Donald Trump has well, done. Look what he said about John McCain. Yeah. Look what he said about John McCain. Look what he did. Look how he treated this uh, Gold Star family, this widow of a man who gave his life for his country. Or the Khans. Look at what he did to Kazir Khan. Look at what he did to this father of a soldier that died that he said he was going to bring awareness to their problem and and (laughs) give him $25,000 and then never followed up until he got busted for it. And he dodged the draft five times. And he dodged the draft five times. My dad didn't have the opportunity to do that. He had to to leave in the middle of a college at SC State uh, to go serve his time as a uh, uh, a, a young uh, howitzer guy in the uh, first cav, and then go back and finish out uh, his time in college. Uh, and now you have a president that's dictating what patriotism looks like, who never served a day in his life and did everything he could to avoid service. Mm-hmm. By the way, I have to say, I want to commend the NFL players. I thought that they have handled themselves very well. Those who took a knee, and it, uh, those who decided to take a knee, those who didn't. But the, I, I mean, collectively in this big meeting with the NFL. I think they won the day, right? You they, know, absolutely. They, and and they, let me go back to say that those who decided not to take a knee and to stay, by all means, that's fantastic. I applaud them in the same way that I applaud yeah. the gentlemen uh, and the uh, coaches and the owners who did decide to take a knee together. A- again, this is the beauty of the you know, American culture. You have the opportunity, the right, and the ability to do what you'd like in that situation. Yeah. You know, they stood up and they said, look, here's who we are. And I said, one of the commentators said last night, too, you know, the, these owners, they have a product, and the product is their football team. Yeah. Right? And if they really basically piss off and alienate their football team and say, hey, boys, you have to do this or whatever, they're going to lose They're going to have pro- problems. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I hope that all resolves itself. Hey, it's very nice to meet you, Bishop. Thanks Thank so you. much for coming Thank in. Thank you so much for having Thanks me. spending some time with us. Sure. Uh, and I hope to see you back. Uh, You can follow Bishop on Twitter, at Bishop Garrison. Easy enough. Have a great day, folks. We'll look for you tomorrow. Come on back. This is the Bill Press Show.